I'm recording. Me too. Presented by The Hockey Shop. Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Welcome to In Goal Radio, the podcast. That is the most formal introduction in the entire history of this podcast. As we bring in the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, David Hutchison, Kevin Woodley, we're on the tracks right now. Let me derail the entire program, Darren Millard, with you. I want to get into the gear segment. Can't wait to get into the gear segment today because you guys are going to, and I mean you guys, Woodley and Cam, are going to compare pad sizes between brands and actually give us an idea of sort of a universal pad sizing going into picking your next uh, set of leg pads. I can't wait for this because it's it, there's there's all kinds of little uh, differences between the pads. Uh, that's all coming up, and we're going to chat with Zach Sachenko. Uh, he's gone from the Western Hockey League, U Sports, Canadian University, to the National Hockey League, and this is a story about perseverance, and there's a couple of uh, U Sports goalies in the NHL. Uh, this year with Sachenko and Logan Thompson with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, but a lot of stuff to uh, track down on the goaltending side of it in the wake of the trade deadline. And let's start with uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. Who had Fleury going to Minnesota? I did. You would be the only one, Darren. I, I wasn't even really paying attention to them as a team, although I did see some of the rumors and reports. And now that it's happened... Kind of feels like a good fit, yeah. no? Not just from a personal perspective, knowing Bill Guerin and being able to get the family there on short notice or be able to visit them. But I look at this team and how they play, how they defend. Like when I took a look at his numbers on ClearSight and I took a look at their numbers, they look like a team where his strengths are going to fit their strengths. And this could be a real special fit if he gets comfortable uh, over the final 20 games and gets comfortable with tendencies of the defenseman in front of him and how everyone plays. Because in terms of what they give up and where he excels, it's, it looks like a really nice fit on paper. Isn't it amazing how a, a relationship like that can go so far? I mean, Billy Guerin and Marc-Andre Fleury played together, but played together a long time ago, worked in the same organization for a while when Guerin was there uh, in management. But uh, it Hutch, it, it, it is... Uh, all about relationships in the fine details. It is. It's about relationships and it's about trust, right? You're taking mm -hmm. a huge leap of faith there uh, for the rest of the season. And everybody knows that being comfortable in the environment that he's moving to is so important to him. So yeah, having somebody on the other side telling him, uh, trust me, it's going to be okay. It's uh, obviously helped that move. I personally sort of hoped he might go to a team that was uh, maybe higher up the favorites chart for uh the stanley cup here but uh for him if he can help minnesota go on a long run here it's uh, so much the better isn't it he joins a team that he beat in game seven of the first round last year and what i really like about the deal and this is on the flip side the cam talbot side an nhl all-star this year who now has a uh, challenger for the the starting job is cam talbot went out and tossed a shutout the, the first night that Marc-Andre was the bench. And I thought that, what a response there. Yeah, and not an easy yeah. shout out either. Yeah. Yeah, and you know that's the one thing that makes this work is you know that Cam's going to handle it the right way. As Bill Guerin said after that introductory press conference, like there's no time for the petty BS. And Cam Talbot's not a guy who's going to buy into that at all. Like he's the ultimate professional, right? He's going to come and do his job and do it at his best. Like there's... I talked to uh, I talked to Mike McKenna, your old uh, broadcast partner there, Darren. I talked to Ryan Miller, and I talked to Eric Comrie about what it's like to get traded midseason and what those adjustments are like. And so 
Now, one of the biggest ones is, you know, according to those guys, is sort of the emotions of it and not wanting to do too much, not trying too hard as you try and learn the new team. Like you feel like, especially a guy like Fleur, you feel like you're going in there to be a finishing piece and you can end up putting too much pressure on yourself and not just go play your game. But Flowers like got that aloof personality, right? Like as long as he's having fun, that's all that matters. Like he doesn't feel to me like a guy at this stage of his career that's going to go in there and wear the burden to the point where, because you guys know, like goaltending is like golf. You can't try too hard. You can't try harder. I mean, you're like, it doesn't work, right? And so you feel, oh, I got to do more because I'm on this team and I'm supposed to be this. Like Flower just has to play his game. And I think after so much experience, I think that's going to translate. The next step is getting to know how guys play. How do they play the rush? Which side do they take away on screens? What your job is? What your defenseman's job is? Getting comfortable with them. And again, those guys talked about how his personality will help that because I don't care. Yeah, he may be you know, a future first ballot Hall of Famer, but he is good at making every guy in that room comfortable talking to him. Like if there's a defenseman in his first year, he can go talk to Marc-Andre Fleury about how he played that and how he'd like him to play it because the personality is just so open and engaging. I like, I just, I know there's a hesitation on goaltenders at the trade deadline because all of these elements have to come together in short order, but it just feels from the outside talking to guys who have been through it, that this is one that could work. I chatted with Jared Spurgeon, uh, the Minnesota captain uh, on the Chirp podcast this week, and he said right away, Mark andre first practice was making windmill saves, and he was chirping Ryan Hartman right away. They were going at it uh, and back and forth. So it was uh, it was a different energy uh, around the goaltending. The one thing I will say is like Mark andre for all his accomplishments, he's never done this before. He's never changed teams middle of the season before. Uh, whether it's trade or or, or asking uh, to be, to be moved on his own accord, so this is this is kind of new for him as well. You could even argue that you know the first change going to Vegas wasn't even try- having to adapt to a different established culture. He was a huge part of establishing the right. culture of that team. So this really is a big change for him. Well, and if you look at so then the next change he made was to Chicago this year, and if you look at the first month of the season, he had a save percentage in the eight seventy range. And so for some people that threw up a red flag, like it took him six weeks to find his game or we don't have, we got six weeks left in the season five actually right now. Is that going to work? But when you talk to him about what changed, cause he went from eight seventy one early to like nine thirteen ever since behind a Chicago team um, that, you know, let's be honest is, is not great, especially defensively. But what changed again when the coaching changed, when they got rid of Colton and brought in Derek King was a lot of the odd man rush stuff. And again, Flurry had success under Derek King even there. And when I, when I look at the underlying profile of what those teams gave up, what Chicago gives up under Derek King very much matches what Minnesota gives up in terms of types of chances. And that doesn't automatically mean that you can plug a goalie from one to the next and he's going to have instant success. But in terms of being comfortable and facing the types of scoring chances that he's best at, which is end zone stuff, that's where Flurry excels. There's a really good fit there between how sort of he played in Chicago after that first month with the coaching change and what Minnesota does. I would worry less about the first four weeks under Jeremy Colton because I think that was more about the way the team played and what they gave up than it was Flurry struggling to adjust to something. And that was about it for goaltending. Dallas made a move and Dallas leads the league in National Hockey League goaltenders playing for their team this year because it's gone Bishop. Uh, Hudobin, Ottinger, Holtby, and uh, now Scott Wedgwood. And then Arizona picked up Harry Sateri 
uh, off waivers. Uh, just a, a quick comment on Scott Wedgwood, uh, Woody, just on, on that move because it kind of caught some people off guard. Well, I like that move because I had sort of identified Scott Wedgwood as a bit of a sleeper um, at the trade deadline, a guy that I would have, if I was a GM that needed some insurance policy, I would have targeted. Again, I know Arizona's an inconsistent team. They've, you know, they're in, a, in the process of a, a pretty painful rebuild. But some of his underlying numbers, especially over the past month, have been really good. And so, you know, low cost acquisition uh, has enough experience in the National Hockey League. And what does he do for Dallas, who can't afford to lose right now? Goes in and makes 44 saves in, a, I think it was a shootout win against the Carolina Hurricanes in his first start for the Dallas Stars. So there's one that, uh, you know, I don't want to say predicted, but there was a guy that I would have targeted. The other one would have been Anton Forsberg, who Ottawa went and re-signed instead. Yep. Like those are two names that I had sort of on my, you know, not Marc-Andre Fleury, but the next tier list that I would have looked at seriously if I was a contending team that needed goaltending. And, you know, so automatically right away, if you're the Dallas Stars, the Wedgwood acquisition has paid off. Harry Sateri goes to Arizona. Uh, Carl Vemilka gets a contract extension. And uh, Hutch, I, I don't know how much you know about him, uh, but he just came out of nowhere this past year and ends up at training camp for the, he was a former, he was drafted in the National Hockey League, but uh, had spent uh, his time in Europe. And uh, I like him. He's big. He's he's a southpaw. He's got some flair to him. Uh, I, I enjoy what, uh, what Carl Vemilka, and they've got him for the next three years. So, uh, they've got some stability in goal there. In goal. Yeah, love it. Um, I, yeah, I got to admit that when he first came on, I had no idea who he was. I didn't know how to say and, his name. Uh, and full credit to him for establishing himself because it's not easy to make an impact when you're coming on to a team that's rebuilding like Arizona. Like, that's not an easy environment. First year in North America. Into. Yeah, like, it's a, it's an incredible story, really. And And I know he's turned heads around the league as he's shown up and people haven't really known who he is. Um, you know, so much so that I actually thought that Arizona got a heck of a deal when they signed him for three years at what was it, two seven, two seven five, something like that a year. Um, I was surprised because for him to perform so well uh, in a difficult environment like Arizona really, really surprised me. I was thinking, Woody, you know, when you talked about how you know golf and goaltending we put them together as similar sports because you can't try harder. And I had another moment today. I've always thought pitching and baseball is a little bit like goaltending as well. You know, a solo person on a team sport. I was thinking another comparison today is Formula One racing. Because you're a member of a team, but you're solo out there. But more importantly, you know, you can't have results without a, a good team and without a good car underneath you. And so for, for, for Malka to go out there and perform so well with Arizona, not much of a car he's running with right there, but he's performing really well. And he's a great story and an example. I know that the goalie department there has kind of been broken up with Brian DeCord leaving the Arizona Coyotes, but that department was a big part of acquiring Vomelka and sort of finding him overseas. They were actually scouting someone else and their scouts saw him and went through the whole process of, you know, really going through all the different levels of their goalie staff to make sure that this was a guy that they really should go and target and sort of once they did getting through that process of bringing him over and getting him signed. And um, so, yeah, like I'm full credit there. Like I said, unfortunately the department's no longer fully intact, but for, there are some scouts that are still there that were part of this and, you know, credit to them for finding a guy that, you know, he was drafted by Nashville, but you know, they never did sign him. Uh, my understanding is he felt like staying uh, over there was better than coming over and getting dropped all the way down to the ECHL. 
And he also, you know, didn't want to come over to North America because he was finishing, uh, my understanding is his university degree. Um, you know, so to me, that's not a strike against the guy. To me, that's a, that's a check in a positive box when the guy wants to stay in his home, in his native league for, you know, another couple of years because he's finishing his schooling. And so Nashville lets him go. He's a free agent. And, and uh, here come the Arizona Coyotes. And what a, what a great, what a great story. What a great goaltender he's turning into being. Now he'll get another three years to sort of show off, show that uh, he can stick at this level long-term because he's been fun to watch, as you said, Darren. Uh, life's less, life lessons as well as the uh, education of the the academic side uh, all coming together for Carl Vemilka. Just want a, a stick tap to Craig Anderson. We're a little bit late on this, uh, and we want to congratulate uh, Craig Anderson on his 300th victory. He recorded it a couple of weeks ago. The cool thing about it was after he recorded the victory, they played the tribute and did everything uh, acknowledging the 300th win on the ice right after the game. And uh, it's a lot of times that's the next game or uh, next couple of games when it's at home. But this was a victory at home and they did uh, everything right there on the ice post game. So it was kind of neat. I love that. I love that. And that's a big milestone for guys, right? We talked about Brian Elliott. He reached it last year and we talked about with him on the podcast this summer. Like that's a big one here in Vancouver. Yaroslav Halak, who's had a tough year, um, picked up, I think it was 28, win 284 or 285. And again, we talked about uh, that with him, uh, in the preseason about how important that 300 wins is like, you know, if there's only, I think Craig Anderson's the 39th goaltender to reach that mark. Next guy will be 40. Like that's a, you think of the history of the game, that's a pretty short list of guys that get that far. So good on Craig Anderson, who, you know, a lot of people, including the Buffalo Sabres, I think at one point thought was retired and was like, Hey, he's still eager to play. So let's sign him. And he's playing, he played here in Vancouver, beat the Canucks, uh, in an overtime game here just last week. And some of the reads he was making, I say three, four times, didn't go down on good looks where he stayed on his feet. Um, you can just, you can just see like he's, he's, he's still got something there. He can still play. It's got to be interesting for teams to, maybe not so much for the goalie coaches to pre-scout Craig Anderson, but for the players who are interested in the pre-scout to try and turn that into a game plan for them. Because, you know, we talk all the time about how players are starting to adapt. They've grown up with goaltenders who play the way that, that we play now. And they're ready for it. Um, none of these guys grew up facing somebody like Craig Anderson. You're right. Being able to almost see the future. That's the way I look at it with Craig Anderson. He, he has this ability to see everything before it happens and, and make these reads, it's called in, in hockey, obviously. But uh, I don't know anybody like him. There's, there's guys that have been good at reads, but nobody that I can say is just so dialed in. Well, and I would encourage people, especially in Gold Premium annual members, and go search the archives to go have a look because that's a story we've written in the past. You know, talking to guys like Robin Lehner who learned from him in Ottawa, Mike Condon about just, they, they say he's the best reader uh, of shot releases in the game still today. Um, you know, talking, Craig talking about how he got good at it by not watching the puck, by watching hands, by telling a coach that, you know, hey, I'm like just making sure you let the coach know. But like he would go through times at practice where he just wasn't going to watch the puck. Guys were taking shots and he was watching the hands and the hips and the head Love that and one. learning how to anticipate um, by sort of looking for all those other cues on purpose in practice rather than focusing on the puck. So there's a reason he's one of the, if not the best at it in the game today. And it's it's fun to watch. I like watching Craig Anderson play. I like, I look for those moments where I said to one of my colleagues that night here, like, watch how many times 
on a good look, he doesn't even go to the ice in this game. And so we had a running tally going. So I think if the Canucks had actually generated more offense, the total would have been higher, but they didn't get much. So uh, it was fun to watch. Uh, we don't encourage you to try that approach, by the way, at your next tryout session. Just just experiment, not looking at the puck. Uh, I, I, would, I would suggest that you kind of keep somewhat uh, a dialed in focus on, on what they're shooting at you. Something we might chat about just before we introduce the feature interview, though, is a way that you can do that. Oh, yes. Good point. Stay uh, tuned. Very good. Imagine going to your coach. Um, uh, coach, uh, today we're, I know we're doing these uh, things, but I'm not going to look at the puck today. Uh, all right. Like how many coaches go, uh, uh, what, uh, what are you doing? Goalie. I want to be goal. Craig Anderson, 300 wins. Just yeah. Point at it. There, there you go. Uh, so let's get, uh, let's get into, uh, our gear segment today. And that's brought to you by the hockey shop source for sports, Surrey, the hockey shop.com. And it's. It, there was a while there where everything was pretty uniform. And before that, in the old leather pads, uh, you, you, you sort of had uniform, but then everything shrunk. And then you didn't really know what you had after a while. Uh, and now we're back to being a little bit maybe more unpredictable as far as difference between brands. And brand X is a 31, a brand Y is a 31, but they're different sizes. So let's you guys are going to kind of walk us through what each size and each brand means by comparison. Yeah. And this is why you go to the hockey shop source for sports. If you're blessed enough to live here in the lower mainland and see them in person and why you check them out at the hockey or call cam. When you have questions, it's little details like this. You're right, Darren. We used a 34 inch CCM pad, a 34 plus one stock CCM E flex five. And we compared them to all the other brands. And the truth is, sometimes it's half an inch. Sometimes it's a full inch. What should be a 34 or what what is labeled as a 34 might not fit the same brand to brand. And we thought it was an important one. And, and shout out to the people who have been sending questions at the bottom of our YouTube page and on the IGTV when we do this gear segment each week, asking questions like this. Like, hey, can we get... like? Remember we did the glove one? People are like, can we do something like that for pads? So uh, to our loyal audience, thank you for the idea. That's where we got this. We talked last week with Cam about how to properly size pads. And so determine whether you're a 34 or a 33 or a 32. Now we're going to go back to Cam and tell you whether that 32 in one brand might need a different size in a different brand. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're down here in Goalie Utopia, where as you can see, we are surrounded by all kinds of goalie pads and no folks, this isn't just the result of me doing my usual tour around and pulling everything off the wall for Cam to clean up. Last week we talked to you about pad fitting and how to properly fit it. But we've had this question for a number of weeks now in the comment section and please feel free to go, whether it's YouTube or IGTV, leave your questions for Cam, we'll get to those one day, but this one's been repeated. We did the glove, how the different glove breaks feel and fit from brand to brand. Now it's about pad fit. Because as much as Cam measured me up last week and we checked a couple of different brands, the reality is they're not all created equal. They do not fit equal. So 34 in one not, might not be 34 in the other. Right, Cam? That's correct. I mean, that's the one thing I have in common with everything that's out in front of us here. They are all either 34-1 or 34-2 if you're familiar with Vaughn sizing. However, they don't all line up. line up at the knee. No. So it's time for a comparison 
from brand to brand, where should we start? Do we use CCM? I think we need like a little bit of a jingle. I would be bad size in comparison. Da -da 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 -da. I think you just gave it to us. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna compare them all. Where do we start? Where do we start with? Where, where's our base model? Do we use, let's use CCM as our 34-inch base model and just compare all the other brands where that knee fits? I think we'll use this CCM 34 plus one E-Flex pad as kind of our base comparison across the board. Um, the setup for the pad is their stock setup, so it is their softer. It doesn't feature the Max Roam, so it's not as stiff. However, it will be a good one-to-one -one comparison kind of across the board as we start to stack up every 34-inch pad. Side by side, we're going to check the knee height. We'll check the overall height. Again, a little bit of the variables being that Vaughn does consider their pad a 34 plus 2 as their stock sizing. Um, we'll show it all, and we'll see if we can break it down for you in a what other than just the sizing being different from one company to the next what affects it is it all about the boot break and how it sits on the skate so there are a couple variables here that are very very well worth noting so it's an exact science i mean we're just lining them up side by side in terms of how you strap it up on the leg the different toe ties boot flex itself whether you strap your knee behind or down below down to the calf in terms of the knee strap so all the elements we talked about when fitting a pad need to be considered when fitting it but once you know, at least now with this little sizing chart we're going to create, you'll be able to compare, hey, like I've always been a 34 in CCM, what's the equivalent in a Vaughn or a Warrior or a Bauer? All right, so it makes sense, Cam, to start with a little CCM on CCM Crime. You said we're going to use the E-Flex <laughs> 5 as a uh, benchmark for our 34-inch pad. What have you got there right beside it? The CCM Axis. Correct. CCM Axis, 34 plus 1. So as a one-to-one -one comparison, the knee height is... The same, as it for the most part should be. Overall height, you could argue that the axis is just a hair taller, but that's all to do with the stiffness profile of the pad as well and how it's going to sit on your leg. But in terms of the knee measurement wise, we are pretty close to identity. So a 34 inch E-Flex 5 is going to fit the same. And again, this is the axis knee. one. Axis yes. two is coming out soon, but from our understanding, that fit should be the same. Correct. What's next? All right, so moving on. We'll go a soft pad to a soft pad. We have a 34 plus 2 V9. Some difference here for sure. Looking at the overall height, you can see it first. That Vaughn pad is almost that inch bigger overall height. When we move into the backside of that knee, you can really see a difference too as well. Coming around over to get that good look, we almost see what I would call close to a half inch difference. Maybe even argue a full. Especially when you're sizing these pads, two soft pads as a one-to-one, -one, I would probably go down a size in the Vaughn, just versus maybe look at a 33 plus two if you're looking, if you're coming out of an E-Flex in a 34, for example. Um, just to get that similar overall feel, I would believe that, you know, if you went like a one-to-one -one sizing, you would find that V9 quite a bit bigger, for sure. Next. All right, keeping with the theme of Vaughn, we will look at the brand new SLR3 Pro Carbon. This is a 34 plus two. Quite a bit of a stiffer and straighter pad overall, so we will see definitely difference between these two side by side. It's a flatter, a slightly flatter boot, very similar actually. Correct. And of course, we talked about 34 plus 2 being the stock sizing on the SLR3, so it's a taller pad than the E-Flex 5. Correct. Let's go around the back and see. A lot of this has to do with the shape of the boot actually being very similar to that of the E-Flex. This causes that knee stack to be very, very similar in terms of overall height. So 34 to 34 in that SLR3, as you can see, very, very similar knee position. 
However, that big difference coming in the thigh rise between the two pads for sure. Now, for argument's sake, while you're still there, Kevin, we will put a V9 side by side so we can see some of that difference. Now, V9 is softer, more flexible pad, one that if you were to want to sort of strap it up at the bottom tight, as much as that's a half inch taller, interestingly, than a pad I would think of as a straighter, stiffer pad, would, would you have that half inch sort of come down in that soft boot over time or depending on how you strap it up? There is a chance, yeah, depending on how you strap it up. If you wear it looser, that is probably going to kick that pad up. If you wear it tighter, that is going to kind of bring it down a little bit. But even then, because the boot is already on a flatter angle, this doesn't want to shrink as much as it did a previous model. So where that knee position is, you can actually see that difference between the two. That's going to be pretty consistent in terms of the overall pad fit, regardless of strap. So a full half inch difference. All right, moving on. We'll take a look at the Warrior G5, 34, one and a half. So once again, a little bit different thigh rise sizing in comparison to the CCM. So we'll get those nice and lined up. So there we see the half inch dis difference with the plus one and a half stock sizing. So knee height, very similar. The nice thing that the Warrior um, lines up very similar to that CCM 34, but there is quite a bit of boot flex to that Warrior if we do get it down. So keep that in mind, depending on how you're strapping up that Warrior, that will bring that knee down just a little bit as well. So, um, so out of the box fit is going to be very similar. 34 right. to 34 is similar, um, but with that flexible. And, and again, you could probably do the same with a knee flex five boot and a bootstrap sort of pull it down if you wanted it to fit a little. That is correct. As this breaks in, it is only going to get softer. So that would kind of bring that down a little bit as well. So I would say as a comparison wise, very close to a one to one, which is a little bit more height in the thigh rise for the warrior. Next. Another thing brand new to the shop, the True L 20.2 just arrived. Let's see that as a comparison side by side. So we have a 34 one noticeably flatter boot noticeably flatter boot and that is going to affect that knee sizing for sure so this i believe is the softest iteration for their boot construction that we've chosen when we ordered these guys in because it lots of good forward flex however that will bring that down on your skate um, and on your overall leg as well so when you do come around the backside, you will see the difference in the overall height for sure so again keeping in mind that that boot construction does definitely make a difference in terms of your sizing for your pad for sure slightly taller as well, I noticed like it, like the true is a little bit shorter in the terms of the pad height too, the way it sits. Correct. So we can see the difference in the knee and as well as in the overall height. And I would say a lot of that again has to do with that flatter boot construction. Like I can push that E-flex down to kind of get it to match one to one, but in terms of as a pad wants to naturally sit, probably about a half inch to a full inch difference. Just in terms of that boot construction. Again, depending on how tight you wear that at the lower part of that leg, that can really adjust where that true pad's gonna sit. And interestingly enough, again, a pad that I think a lot of us associate with straighter and stiffer and would assume has a higher profile to the knee, the True 20.2 actually sits both as a pad and at the knee noticeably and would fit noticeably smaller than an E-Flex 5. Next. Moving on. Brian's Genetic 5. Another sort of pad that I would, I would think is a similar, similar profile pad to the E-Flex 5 in terms of, you know, designed to be a more flexible product. We see the boot break there, a little bit fatter, or sorry, flatter, flatter. on Brian's genetic. This is a 34 plus one. That is correct, 34 plus one. Sure enough, top of that pad matches up roughly with our 34 plus one E-Flex 5. Now, one big thing to consider here, 
So the genetics lining up very close to a one-to-one -one comparison in a 34-1 to a 34-1. However, with the genetic boot, there's a bit of a pad here, the boot that does tend to kick the pad up on the skate a little bit and have it sit a little bit higher. That's one thing to definitely consider. We have been recommending going about a half inch down because of that boot pad almost. It just causes that pad to sit a little bit higher on the skate, which is going to bring your knee obviously down. It's going to bring the overall pad height up on you. So we have been recommending a bit of a sizing change to that as well. So although we do have a one-to-one -one side by side, this is now one of those factors that when the pad's actually on your leg, it does cause it to sit a little bit different. Last but not least, the Bauer Hyperlite. Side by side, now of course Bauer, unique sizing system, small, medium, large, doesn't go with the 34, but the medium is supposed to be roughly a 34 plus one pad. That's correct. So we have a medium here, side by side, our 34 plus one E-Flex. Similar boot brake angles, similar height, both 34 plus one. However, overall height, we can't see a difference. You're right that the CCM does sit a hair bit taller overall as a pad and at the knee. Similar story, just a hair bit taller overall as well. I would say this would be a little bit dependent on your personal preferences. Um, you can probably get the Hyperlite pad to set up a little bit higher on your leg to accommodate for this sizing difference as a 34 to a 34. Just based on the unique strapping? Yes, correct. However, there might be, depending on the person, depending on the leg fitment, there might be a reason to jump up to a large in terms of as a comparison, just for getting that same fitment. Now, it really depends on how you're wearing that pad, how it's strapped up on your leg. Um, again, these are questions that I can help you through if you give me a call here at 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. We can go over some of these sizing differences that we've talked about here in depth. Also talk about how you strap that pad up on that leg and we can kind of help to really zero in on, you know, what size you might need for sure. One notable by omission is the Bauer Ultrasonic. We didn't have it in a medium in stock in store right now to compare. It's a stiffer, steeper boot. Correct. How much taller does that fit a medium compared to a medium or a large compared to a large from ultrasonic to the vapor line? So if we were going to compare an ultrasonic medium to a hyperlite medium, we would find that ultrasonic medium fits almost an inch bigger due to that steeper, fatter boot. So I would say if you're looking for, you know, say, Hyperlite medium, you might need an ultrasonic small just to get that exact same sizing one to one. And we should note, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because we can't, we don't really, we're not supposed to be talking about the new Bauer Mach, but it is going to have a boot that's a lot flatter, softer, more similar in construction to the Hyperlite. Correct. And so we'll sort of get rid of that discrepancy with the new uh, Supreme Mach line compared to the Supreme Ultrasonic line in terms of how the same size can fit different at the knee they should be a lot more similar moving forward. Correct. Cam, thanks for the sizing chart. Uh, appreciate your time. One thing to get it sized up, another thing to make sure we're going from brand to brand and those sizes match. Clearly there's differences and goalies should take that into account when they're ordering their next set of pads. Even after, quit hiding, quit hiding. Good job. Oh, my brain is so full of knowledge right now. I'm just, you know, after you have a Thanksgiving dinner and you're all sleepy, the tryptophan, that's what I feel. I've got goalie tryptophan going <laughs> off right now because I've got so much in my head.
uh, after that. Are, are you saying that me talking about equipment for 12 minutes put you to sleep? No, Is that pretty I mean, much I'm just, what you're telling I'm me? full. I've got, I've just absorbed so much there that I have to <laughs> exhale. Uh, there's the last week we had the director's cut. Uh, I called it uh, on the YouTube channel. And this week, it, it may be even more important that after listening to that, that everybody goes over and, and takes in the visual aspect, uh, Hutch. No, hugely, because th- there's so much going on there. And although they do a good job of trying to, uh, you know, explain what's happening there so that people listening on the podcast can, can get a grasp of it, you really have to see on the video how Cam has lined up, uh, you know, each set of pads and to really see that difference in the knee height. You know, even though 34 is supposed to tell you where that knee is, as they say in the thing, you know, based on boot break and all sorts of other things like that, that we're going to get, um, you know, we're going to get a difference in knee height. We might get a difference in the, in the height of the pad. The one that really threw me was was just the way that the boot um, channel was constructed in the Brian's pad and how that affects how it even sits on your leg. Even though sitting there just between uh, Cam and Woody, it looked like it had the exact same sizing as a CCM pad. So um the thing that's so so please do go watch the video there's a good five six minutes of extra stuff as well it's not just being able to picture what's happening there and the graphic right yeah and because i you know my head was spinning like i i probably watched this eight ten times as i'm going through editing it and i still couldn't really keep track um don't have the best memory on the planet guys so i made a little graphic so that i could really you know just sort of picture what was going on and compare each one so i I fancied that up a little bit and, and I've made that available. It'll be on the website. It is available in the, uh, disc- sorry, in the uh, notes section on, on YouTube as well. So feel free to go grab that if you want to just have a look at it. You'll probably find a few things you think I should have added in there. Throw it in the comments. Maybe I can update it for you. Guys, the one that really stood out for me was the fact that in a couple of cases here, it's not just between brands, but within brands. Like if you're, if you've been in pad X, and you think you're going to go to the the newest and greatest from the same company, don't just assume you can order the same size. Don't just go look for the best price you can find on the internet and just order it and hope it's going to arrive. You got to deal with a guy like Cam who can help you set it up because the difference was, you know, well over an inch in the one case between the two Vaughn pads, wasn't it, Woody? Yeah, and and surprising to me that it was the what I consider the more flexible, the the quote-unquote softer Vaughn pad um, that actually fit a little taller. And, you know, you talked about the Brian's one and how it's got that sort of bump in the boot now to get the pad to sit higher on the skate. We've definitely noticed a difference in that from some of our Brian's users, guys that have tested for us in the past. One goal is using it in junior B, and he actually had to make a slight adjustment there. We used to see it with CCM, right? The, um, the premier pad with its steeper boot fit a little taller at the knee than the E-Flex pad. Now, of course, that's leveled off and they're very similar because the Axis pad that replaced Premier has a flatter boot. You're going to see that, and we talked about it in the video, um, with the new Bauer Mach, whereas the Bauer Ultrasonic was a steep, stiff boot and it fit taller, noticeably so, I would argue at least one inch taller in most cases. The new Mach um, has a similar boot profile to the Hyperlite, so you won't see as much discrepancy. Last note, uh, the True Pad that we tested there that sat shorter than the CCM pad, noticeably shorter. Shorter. I actually wished, and maybe we'll go back and do this uh, in a Q&A, you know, questions with Cam or ask Cam, as I like to call it. We'll go back and run the true on top of a skate 
because just as the Brian's actually has like a, a bump on the boot to sort of push the pad up on the top of your skate, True doesn't have a bump, but they have no channel. Like there is no boot channel at all. It is like a tabletop flat on that 22.2 pad. So, well, there's there's stitching in there to look like a channel. I actually have some questions about whether it's a true channel, a, an actual channel as defined by NHL rules, but um, looks like they're okay with it. So that that but that will make a difference. Whereas the CCM has a defined channel that will have that pad sit lower on your skate. As much as putting them side by side, that true sat lower. I think on a skate, it might actually be a lot more equivalent. So maybe that's something we go and revisit. And it's, that's why, you, like you said, Hutch, that's why you go to the hockey shop. That's why you have guys like Cam and the rest of his staff. They all play the position. They all know the answers to these questions. And they'll make sure. Imagine doing a custom order, on a, whether it's the new Brian's and not knowing about that bump, or doing a custom order on True and because you always assumed it was the same as CCM and maybe it comes back however many, like six months later, and it's you've, you've spent all that money and it doesn't fit because you didn't know about the knee and the variations in the knee. That's why you need the experts at the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com to help you make sure you get the right sizing. Last week, we went through how to size. This week, we talked about how to make sure you get the right size and the right brand for your, for your fitment. Yeah, and I think that just underlines, go back and watch last week's video on how to size the pads. And the most important one was you got to try them on with your skates. You got to try them on with your pants. And this week's video, I think, underlines that even more, right? Like even, even if you think you could pick it out by the numbers, even with the guide that uh, we've provided this week, it, it still underlines the fact that you need to have your skates on at least when you're trying these on. And the knee stack, right? Like that's, it's, it's all come together with that and the boot channel. And, and I don't know, I don't know how you, yeah. I don't know how you do it without literally doing them up with your skates. But, Go see Cam. Yeah. Spend a whole day with them, drive them crazy, leave a big mess. You know what I'd like you to do? What I do. I, I would walk back and forth behind Woody and Cam when they're recording. That's what I would like to do. Just grab gloves sticks mass start Wasn't doing that last week's butterflies oh yeah somebody already did that but i'd like yeah. to really do it and 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 make multiple appearances in there walking back I have and to forth. get over there and do that you wouldn't mind I'm would shy. you woody no not at all i'm not easily distracted come on <laughs> squirrel <laughs> i'm like <laughs> like mine like a steel trap boys <laughs> i'm like there's the person's walking behind you and you still somehow knew that they were there Talk about using the force. Yeah, you, you, you are really aware. Uh, Zach Sachenko is this week's uh, feature interview. What a journey. Uh, incredible. And uh, for the longest time, we didn't have Canadian university goaltenders in the National Hockey League. And right now, we've got a, a couple of them making a, a dent in the National Hockey League this year. Uh, the feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. And we want to thank Sensorina for bringing us those feature interviews. And guys, I was just thinking here, you know, a lot of kids' seasons are winding up now. Playoffs are done or just finishing in so many leagues. What a perfect time to try Sensorina. So this is the time of year when you make a difference for next season. You've got three months, four months, five months between now and the next season if you want to take that next jump in your career, if you want to move up to the rep team, if you want to move from double A AA to triple A, you've got to use that summer well. And there's so many kids who just go to skates and do some shinny. Maybe they go to a goalie camp for a week 
and just don't have a lot of direction and focus to how they spend that summer. Sensorine is a fantastic opportunity to give you that focus, guys. Right? Like if I was a parent right now looking for something for my son to do for the summer so that he could get to that next league, Sensorina would be really near the top of my list of things to do because it gives him something he can work on every single day. He can work on it at home. Uh, it doesn't involve finding the right camp, the right coach, the right whatever. You can get in there and do a diagnostic routine. They'll figure out what needs to be done. They'll direct you to training plans that give you specific work you can do in Sense Arena every day. Um, you can have some dedication to your game and you can work on it throughout the summer and it will make a difference when you get there in the fall to your new team or to your new tryouts. And as I mentioned, Darren, listening to that bit about Craig Anderson and what he likes to do on the ice in practice, Sense Arena. Yeah, you can't go to your coach and say, I'm going to stand a net for this practice, coach, and uh, I won't be making any saves, but I'm going to read the releases. Well, you can do that at home, um, especially because the Sense Arena competition's over, trying to beat Darren Millard and the scores doesn't matter anymore. Nobody's keeping track. You can just get in there and watch these releases. They've got video of pros taking shots on you, and you will see how those releases are done, and it'll make a difference. So... Get into Sensorina this summer, folks. It's going to make a difference for you this fall. And you can track your progress uh, throughout the, the whole summer in different drills 100%. and, and your, your effectiveness. So there's experimenting, uh, which you can never do uh, on the ice. Jeez, you don't want to get hurt either uh, if something uh, got away from a player. But you can also track your, uh, your talents uh, as relation to, to those different drills, Woody. 100% would highly recommend. And again, what I love about it is it doesn't matter the level, like even for us beer leaguers, you notice a difference, but even for, you know, Hutch's, Hutch's son, who's now playing in the Western hockey league, um, we see pros use it as part of their warm up material. Like at every level, it just gives you an opportunity to get better that, you know, especially as Hutch said in the summers where ice time and training time and stuff can be hard to come by. Well, all you need is a little space. And I would highly recommend you map out enough space as somebody who's almost broken his hand trying to make blocker saves into his desk and knock coffee everywhere. Um, you don't need much space, but you, you you definitely don't need ice and you can continue to train through the off season. So definitely a win in my book. Sets up our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. Set it up for us as we bring in Zach Sachenko. Well, I honestly feel like we should just go straight to Zach because uh, I got to thank him. Uh, I was not on my A game as an interviewer. Uh, had a number of things going on uh, at home the day we we did this uh, and some distractions. And so as you will hear me, I think I asked him three different questions at once, multiple times rather than just letting him Those speak. Those are my favorite ones. Well, I was kind of horse crap this week, guys. But fortunately, I'm just the backup and Zach carried the load as the starter for us. So... Um, just, he's a fascinating journey. He's got a lot of great advice. He speaks to kids several times throughout this, like with advice for young goaltenders, like speaking directly to him, like here's a lesson that I've learned that I think you can apply. Uh, and so there's a lot of really good ones in here for a guy who, you know, got to the national hockey league this year, got his national hockey league win first dub in the, in the NHL. And he did it, you know, in a very unique manner after some disappointments early in his career. Uh, and you'll hear him talk about that path and the uniqueness of it and how he's benefiting from it now. Right. 
really excited to welcome to the Ingle Radio Podcast for the first time, Zach Sachenko. It's been a few years since Zach and I caught up. As a matter of fact, it goes back to the draft and probably a good story we'd like to get into a little later. But for now, I want to talk about this year uh, and some exciting developments. Your first opportunity to be in and play in the National Hockey League with the San Jose Sharks. What's just in general, what's that the last month or so, the last couple of months been like getting that first taste and that first opportunity? And yeah, just catch us up on where you're at, Zach. It's been a while. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for having me on here, Kevin. I appreciate it. And uh, no, like you said, it was, uh, it's been a great year. I mean, it's been an up and down year. It's been kind of a roller coaster year per se, but, uh, you know, to finally kind of make your debut to finally, you know, get that opportunity, something you've been dreaming about since you were a little kid. So it's, uh, it was cool. It was cool. I was happy that, uh, things went relatively well and, uh, you know, I was able to kind of make a statement with myself. So. You had an opportunity to get into games uh, in relief. Does that make it a little easier before you get your first start? Are you sort of prepared for, I guess the first question should be, you know, what is the difference? What is the biggest part about the jump from the American League to the NHL for you? What what changes? What do you have to sort of get used to? Absolutely. I think it, it's definitely a little bit easier once you get in relief, just because you don't really have all day to think about it. It just kind of happens so quickly. Uh, my first game, I think we were down 6-1 after the first period. And the uh, Nabby, our goalie coach here in San Jose, just kind of gave me a heads up. Hey, you might be going in type thing. And then next thing you know, I was I was on NHL ice in Pittsburgh. So it uh, it happens quick. It's it's kind of a blessing in disguise in a sense, just because you don't have time to think about it. You basically just go out there, play, and do what you can. So um, as opposed to when you're starting, you think about it. There's anticipation. You know, there's all a bunch of mental visualization that you're setting up for yourself and it's a lot in in a sense and uh i think it's just like i said a blessing in disguise probably would be to just sort of get thrown in there especially when it's like hey Sidney crosby gino malkin chris letang like that's that's those are some names uh at the other end of the ring to get your first taste in the national hockey league that i i mean my guess would be you don't want too much time to think about that just go in there and play yeah, exactly. You said it best, right? It's uh, there were some pretty high end guys. I mean, it was cool to do it in, in Pittsburgh with you know one of the greatest players I watched growing up in Sid, and and just like you said, the roster that they have, the building, the history of that building was pretty cool. But uh, no, like you said, it it happened so fast. You just kind of want to go out there and, and do what you can, type thing. I think at, at the end of the day, it is still a game, and between the American League, the Western League, the NHL, we all kind of do the same thing. It's just details are so much better at the NHL level. And but at the end of the day, it's still a game and you don't necessarily forget how to play play the game when you get in there. So now we've we've talked to other guys over over the, even even this year uh, about making the jump and sometimes feeling like you want or need to do too much just because you're going up a level. And yet if there's one thing we've learned about goaltending you can't try harder, right? Like it's, it's almost like golf. You can't just go out there and try harder. You have to sort of let things come to you. You mentioned visualization as you get into that moment where you're leading up to that first start. What were some of the methods that you used to sort of help you stay within yourself? Things that maybe young kids, that's not the national hockey league, but they're heading into playoffs this month or, you know, provincial tournaments and events like that. Any advice you can pass along for, you know, how to try and not go outside of what you do best just because the moment's gotten bigger. 
Yeah, 100%. I think, uh, like I said, at the end of the day, it's a game. Um, it's the same game you've been playing your whole life. I think, obviously, the expectation and and just the whole venue of everything is bigger and, and there's more pressure and stuff like that. But uh, I think, like you said, less is more. You know what I mean? I think that uh, when you do get out there, it's important not to try and do too much or, or try and overcomplicate things. You know, I think that uh, if you keep it simple, you you got there for a reason. You kind of got to rely on what got you there, what your strengths are. Honestly, just go out there and, and compete. At the end of the day, it, it, as much as we want to put the puck, stop the puck, it, it's going to go in sometimes. And you just got to be okay with that. And it was, uh, it was a super, super cool opportunity. And I'm super, super thankful for it. And uh, yeah, it, it was, it was cool. It was super, super cool. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a game we've been playing the whole, our whole lives. And I think, there's there's a fine moment between enjoying the enjoying the opportunity, embracing it, and then also just kind of taking a step back and you know looking in the crowd, looking and and appreciating what you've accomplished and basically the road that got you there and how much work has gone into that moment and that was something I I was super super proud of myself and something I always cherish. Do you um did you have an opportunity now? First you had some like you said some relief appearances I think four. Four chances to get into games before your first start against Anaheim uh, on March, I think it was 6th. Um, did you have an opportunity? Did you get like friends, family? I mean, you know, the one thing in the past couple of years is with travel and pandemic and things like that, there's been guys that have had these massive moments and not been able to sort of share them with anyone. Were you able to sort of get anyone down there for your first taste against Anaheim of, of a start? Yeah, it was uh, pretty interesting you say that because, like you said, I, I got into four appearances before I made my first start. And I was lucky enough to get enough forewarning to kind of warn the people that were closest to me. Just It was it was funny, actually, because I was going to play one of the games on the weekend. We played, I think, Anaheim on Sunday and in Anaheim. And then we played Nashville on Saturday. So I was going to get one of those two games. I told both my parents. Uh, told family, told my girlfriend, and and lucky enough, my dad, girlfriend, and agent were able to come down. So they actually flew to San Jose for the Nashville game. Um, I didn't start that one. Staylock started that one, but I think we got pumped eight nothing that game. So I, I ended up making a relief appearance there in the third period. So they were able to catch that, and then obviously the next start was mine in Anaheim. So they uh, they hopped on a flight. Um, got to the rink in Anaheim and were able to share it with me, my, my dad, girlfriend, agent. And, uh, it was just, it was a cool moment because as much as, you know, it's, it's a proud moment for us and, and an, an awesome spot to be in. You want to share it with the people that have been closest to you and know how hard you worked and, and what's it's, it's, it's actually taken to get to that, that spot and to do it with beside, you know, my dad, I know all my families were watching from close by, but just to do it with him was, was super, super cool. Now, yeah, OTL in the first one, but a really good performance in that game. Uh, faced 36 shots. Were they? Did they stick around for, I mean, four days later, you go from your first NHL start to your first NHL win against the Kings. Was anybody still in town for that one? Did they stick around SoCal? No, they, they flew back. So we weren't really sure that uh, I was going to get another start just because of just the situation. I'm so young. I'm I've got, you know, a lot of experience to gain type things. You never really know. So they, they flew home. Um, and then we were in LA, like you said, four days later. And like I said, mom, dad, sister, grandparents, 
friends, family were all obviously tuned into those games just because they knew there was a chance. So I ended up playing in LA against uh, a pretty good goalie in quick, someone who I kind of grew up watching. And it was, you know, another moment where you kind of take a look around, you see the history of the building there in, in LA with the state. Well, I guess it's crypto.com arena now, but still um, staples. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you take a, take a look around and then sure enough, it, uh, I was lucky enough to squeeze out the overtime win there. So another super, super cool moment. Uh, some awesome memories recently. Let's talk a little bit more about your game and where it's at. You mentioned, you know, it's still just a game. Uh, you can't, you just got to go out and play and have fun. How's your game developed over the past couple of years? Uh, how have you enjoyed working with Nabby? Uh, asking all kinds of questions at once, but what's it been like with Rhymes? Um, you know, a guy who probably shares some philosophies in terms of some of the things you grew up with from a you know, technical foundation standpoint. Um, how, how have things developed for you over the past couple of years leading up to this moment and this opportunity? Yeah, 100%. I've always been a firm believer in kind of a student of the game and just, you know, taking everything in type thing. Doesn't matter if you agree with coaches or, or situations or whatnot, but just kind of understanding, you know, why it might think that way. And then maybe if it ever comes to that situation, you can do something that someone tells you. So Rhymes, Rhymes is great. Rhymes is the ultimate pro. I've, I've said it before and I'll continue saying it. There's a reason he's been in this league for so long. There's a reason he's been so successful and he, the way he takes care of his body on and off the ice, the way he prepares mentally for games. It's, it, it was cool to watch just because of, you know, how great of a career he's had. And honestly, it's no surprise that he's doing what he's doing right now. And I think he's 34 now. So he's, he's been great for me. He's been a great mentor for me. And then like you said, Nabby and even our goalie coach down in with the Barracuda there, Danny Sabrin, who had a, a pretty successful career playing pro as well. So those two guys have been great uh, to deal with. And, you know, I can't say enough about those two guys and Nabby especially. I mean, he's he's a legend down here. He's He he thinks the game differently. He's got, you know, he's a little unorthodox in the way he approaches the game and stuff. But uh, honestly, it's been nothing but beneficial to be around him and just kind of hear what sense and expertise he has to offer whether i agree with it all or not is is a different story but uh you definitely listen to what he says and you can understand another reason why he was so successful and had the career he had danny sabrin a guy that we've gotten to know over the years a little bit too nabby a guy we've had a chance to spend some ice or time on the ice with up in Kelowna, and we've seen some of those drills we've actually got a series of old school warren strelo skating drills coming up at ingoldmag.com this week from one of a, another Warren Stralo uh, protege. At the time, Nabby was uh, uh, there, Seamus Kotick, now coaching with the Buffalo Sabres. So I'm familiar with some of the drills. They're a little bit different, a little bit old school. Um, are there times, like like you said, it's different, but what are some of the things that you do take out and, and get benefits from when you're working with Nabby? Are any takeaways there where you maybe look at something and it's like, yeah, you know, I hadn't seen it like this before, but yeah, there's a benefit here. There's something here that I can add to my game. Yeah, definitely. I think especially as goaltending, just because of how specific and how detailed the position is, it's always nice to kind of get a different philosophy on, you know, certain save selections or certain reads you've got to make in the game. So like you said, Nabby's got a different approach and it's it's honestly refreshing to hear that because you can go to as many goalie schools as you want and every single one will probably teach you to do something differently. And that, uh, that in its own is a blessing in disguise because I think the more you can kind of expand your toolbox is what I call it is, is the more successful you'll be just because you can't just rely on one save or, or one movement to get you where you need to be. The game happens so fast nowadays and 
And quite honestly, players are so good nowadays that they'll find a way to expose that one weak spot you have. So you got to be able to expand and kind of just broaden your game in a sense, just so you are able to make saves and you are able to compete. Like you said, I'm sure Rhymes will attest to this too. And basically any goalie out there that as the game keeps evolving, you got to keep evolving as well. And whether it's going to something a little bit more old school or something kind of more modern, it's something you got to keep an open mind with in a sense and, and basically just keep building on your game. Can you give us some examples of things that have evolved over the years, uh, Zach, and maybe even a description for listeners that you know haven't got a chance to watch you that often? The audience is 100% goaltender, so you can speak goaltender to them. How's your game developed? Like, What are some of the specifics? What are, what's the foundation of Zach Sochenko's game right now? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me and something I take a lot of pride in is just reads, reads all together. I think, especially when you get to the pro level, you know, whether it's American League, NHL, or even the East Coast level, I think that uh, everyone's good and the margin for error is, is smaller as you get up. But everyone got here for a reason. Everyone's good here. There's no, there's like, like, I mean, we're all good goalies at this point now. So I think keeping reads is super, super important. The one thing I notice is as you kind of progress and, and keep moving forward in the game, I think as you move up leagues, whether it's from the East Coast to the American, the American League to the NHL, I think the game happens faster and mentally you got to be able to make that decision quicker. So I think the foundation of my game is I've always been a firm believer on skating. I think you got to be a great skater to be a good goalie. And I think just pro reads is, is something I've always been a firm believer into. I mean, the game happens so fast. You got to be able to think and that's another thing too, as I talked about earlier, is you got to be able to, you can't just rely on one movement or one safe selection to, you know, kind of bail you out at times. You got to have, you know, four or five different ways you can get there, different ways you can stop the puck to get there. So um, I think that's kind of the foundation of my game. And uh, like I said, it's, it's always a work in progress though. You know, there's always room to get better. There's always room to expand on things and there's always ways that you can improve. Well, I, I'm curious on the reads because you know, it's interesting. Obviously, it's essential, right? Like that's a big part of the game. Not just reading what opposition players are going to do, but being able to read off of your own team, um, being able to sort of know what your defensemen and your backchecking forwards where they're going to go and trust them to do that. How do you develop that? Th- those act like. What advice would you give to young kids about how to like? Obviously, playing. The more you play the game, the more you recognize the patterns. But is there anything other than just playing that you did to develop? Like, did you work? Can you improve reads by watching video? Do you watch games when you're watching games? Do you watch them with a goaltender's eye? How can you, you know, outside of just getting in there and playing a whole bunch, how can you get better at reads? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because, like you said, I think playing is one thing, right? Playing and getting more minutes, you know, getting in different situations helps reads. But another thing is, kind of just be a student of the game like watch guys like there's different ways to make saves as i've said all along here like you watch how shesterkin stops the puck versus a guy like demko the way they approach the game is completely different yet they're both equally as elite in their own field right so i think that's one thing is just watch guys it doesn't even have to be super super attentive and be like oh why did he push there just watch why they do things and kind of break down the game in that way i know that you know, for the longest time, I just, I, I focused on watching goalies when I watch games as opposed to, you know, following the puck. I've always just enjoyed watching the position. I think it's, it's super, super cool. And I'm sure all the listeners here can agree. I mean, 
it's one of the coolest positions out there because every time you step on the ice, you have an opportunity to dictate, you know, what happens in that game. You know, it's not entirely in, in your control, but there's a reason we're the only guys that are out there for the whole game, you know? So I think that's one thing. And then another thing is something that I kind of realized a, a little later in my career is that goalies take longer to develop. And I think that's a big thing. I think it's hard for some young guys to understand that because it, it doesn't make sense in the time, but it's something that's beneficial for your career to maybe not be where you want to be right now, or maybe you're just not ready to kind of be in that situation, be on that team, be, you know, playing at the highest level. Maybe it's better to go dominate in the league below or a team below and kind of handle it that way. I just think you just got to be aware of just the difference between players and goalies, because I think goalies themselves, just you see it, you see the way that it's hard for an 18 year old to break into the NHL and start dominating right away. I mean, off the top of my head, I think the last goalie to kind of step in and just really dominate is a guy like Carter Hart, you know, came out of the draft. He was maybe 22 when he broke into the flyers, you know, had a great year. And then same thing with him. He's still maturing. He's still learning the game. It's just, it's, it's like I said, it's such a fast game. It's such a, it's, it's an intense game and it's such a, like hockey is so mental and goaltending itself is just so much more mental and there's so much that you can learn. And like I said, just handle different situations in a sense. Right. Obviously part of that mental is being able to, like you said, read the game and read what's going on and anticipate. Um, part of it is being able to handle moments. And, and you talked a little bit about, you know, just appreciating where you are and enjoying it and just going and do what you're doing without overthinking it. Is that a process as well as young goaltender that you've had to go through in terms of, you know, um, and what are some of the tricks you've you've used over or learned over the years to sort of stay in the moment within a game, appreciate, like you said, where you are as opposed to worrying about, you know, putting yourself out of the moment and thinking about where the next step is. Is it just experience or are there little cues? Have you worked with any sports psychologists that have sort of helped you take those steps? Yeah, hundred percent. I, uh, I worked with a sports psychologist when I was younger. Her name was, uh, Lori Pulliam out of Calgary. And she was super, super influential to me at a young age. So some, both my parents, mom and dad kind of thought it was important for me to get a foundation for that. And that's something that uh, I've always been a firm believer in is that, like I've said time and time again, you know, we're the only guys that are on the ice for 60 minutes, right? So we have a, a certain influence on the game and it's super important to be mentally tough. And I think mental toughness is something just like goaltending is something that's always got to be evolving. So as you mentioned, I think uh, staying in the moment and kind of appreciating the opportunity is one thing, but I think that uh, it comes a time there that uh, you got to appreciate it. You got to, you know, own the moment type thing, but it's also an opportunity for you to prove yourself and basically show that one, I can play here or two, that this is a statement for me. And I think that comes with age. I mean, it's, it's tough to see those moments when they're, when you're younger and you don't really know, but once you've been around the game for such a long time, it's, it's easy to recognize a moment like that. And especially in pro, I mean, you only get a handful of opportunities, right? So it's important to, like I said, enjoy the moment, but at the same time, this is an opportunity and there's so many kids and, and other players that would be dying for this opportunity. And, and you worked your whole life for this opportunity. So you want to go out there and not get overwhelmed in a sense by just the pressures and, and all the other stuff outside, outside of the game. But 
but you're still recognizing. So, but it, you, like, rather than hide from the moment or or not think about the fact it's a big moment, it sounds like you've learned to identify it and embrace and embrace that fact that it that it is a big moment, that it is an opportunity. Is that am I hearing yeah, that 100%. right? Percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I uh, I think it was at U uh, seventeen camp, maybe under eighteen camp. I uh, I can't even remember who the head coach was, but uh, he mentioned something along the lines of pressure is power and pressure is privilege type things. So, and you couldn't be more right about that. I mean, you look at, for example, the world junior tournament. I mean, it's, it's a huge moment in such a, in most guys, young careers, but at the same time, as you look at that, that team and how many guys got cut and how many players could have played on that team, that's a moment that you've earned and you have an opportunity now too. So I think if you hide from the moment and you're scared of the moment, honestly, the game will just eat you up. You got to embrace it. You know what I mean? Like you look at my first game against Pittsburgh. If I would have just said, oh my God, I'm finally getting to play type thing, but I got to play against them. I got to do this. You can make so many excuses, but at the end of the day, you're here. This is your moment. And uh, just go out there and embrace it. I mean, it's like I said, there's so many years of work. There's so many hours on the ice that kind of set you up for that and that's kind of what i was referring to at the beginning at the end of the day it's it's a big moment yeah but the game hasn't changed and that's something that i think all goalies can under can appreciate and, and kind of rely on is that at the end of the day just because you know it's a big moment there's pressure there's there's all these outside factors affecting the game and whatever happens is at the end of the day you're you're still you're still a goalie and you're not going to forget how to make saves or out of control rebounds or whatever the case may be. Is this a moment? Does, does the moment mean more that opportunity to be in the National Hockey League and to you know, and, and not just the fact you got there recently, but that you were working your way up, that you were in the system, that you were in the path um, with the Sharks? Is a, were there times where this was a moment, and, and we can go back to the draft and and not getting drafted and making the decision to go back to college hockey in Canada, play university hockey? Is it a moment you appreciate more? Because were there times there where you didn't think this moment was going to happen? Where you, you know, I remember the frustration around the draft and that decision to go play university hockey rather than turn pro. Did you think this would happen at that point, or was that a path you saw from there being possible? Personally, I I always believed in myself. And that's the one thing that never never changed from the moment the draft passed. I got passed over in the draft and didn't whatever happened. I think the, the one thing that's always stayed true and something I've always held, held close to my chest is that the belief that I know that I can play at this level and that I, I can eventually make it there. I think that uh, if you don't, if you don't believe in yourself, honestly, then how are you going to expect someone else to put their faith in you? Right. So I think the belief never changed, but like you said, it was, it was a moment there where you finally got here, you embrace it. It was such a big moment. It was a long road to get there, and you finally got there. And instead of just being happy to be there, it was like, okay, now's your chance. You never know when this is going to come back. And I think that's something that all listeners can can take from this: is that great, you got there, you got this. Now it's up for you to do something with it. And I think that's once again the mental toughness and every situation you've ever been in, whether it's getting pulled, whether it's getting cut, it's just it sucks. But now the game's got ebbs and flows and it's it's important to understand it's not going to be going up all the time if if you were always trending on the uphill it, the game honestly wouldn't be fun you know when you're at your lowest you're low it's it's fun to get to those peaks and 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 really embrace it and, and cherish those moments 
Take us back to that decision, you know, going back to play Canadian University hockey, coming out of Moose Jaw. I think a lot of us who covered the game expected you to be drafted. I think a lot of us were surprised when you weren't. The decision to go play at the University of Alberta, um, what was the mindset then? What, what, how did you see that path? I think it's fair to say that people are finally recognizing. It's amazing to me all these years, and I've kind of been banging this drum for a while now, like, you know, we always see we would see NHL teams chase NCAA unsigned, undrafted goalies, and I kept for saying for years, like, hey, guess what? There's 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 a lot of these guys on this side of the border too, and you see the success that Logan Thompson's having now after a year at Brock. See the success that you're having at a couple of, a couple of years at the University of Alberta, but I'm not sure at the time that people would look at that decision decision and say, well, yeah, the choice to go there is clearly a path to the National Hockey League. What was the mindset for you at that point? And was that, like you said, just an opportunity to you know, em- embrace something at a different level and, and excel there? Yeah, no, 100%. I think, uh, like you said, I, was, I went to the combine. I had a good draft here. I was, I was fully kind of expecting myself to get drafted. And unfortunately, I actually attended the draft. So I sat through, I think it was 210 picks, 211 picks. And it was, that's a low moment in the career where you're sitting in, it was in Buffalo. So sitting in the Buffalo arena with, all, all the people that were important to me, agent, mom, dad, sister, everyone that was there and you're waiting for your name to get called. You're waiting for your name to get called and nothing happened. So obviously one of the lowest points in my career and that kind of made me reevaluate things and maybe this isn't for me. And like I said, I've always been a student of the game and I think it's important that uh, especially goalies and not even just goalies, but people, hockey players in general need to have something aside from hockey and something outside of the rink. So I've always been a big school guy. So I went back for my 19 year old year, had a good year. And then I was basically making a decision at the end of that year is do I want to keep playing in, in Moose Jaw in the Western league, or I have my scholarship package from the Western league and, and go to a prestigious school and a prestigious program in U of A and, you know, start, kind of another path in my life so that all my eggs aren't in one basket type thing because you never know at the end of the day you could you could get injured something could happen and then that that's kind of it with your hockey career right so I've always been a firm believer in having a backup plan so I uh, I went to school for a couple of years um worked towards getting my my business degree and quite honestly I fell back in love with the game I think that uh, when I was in in junior that was that was a low point in my career and when everything looks so promising and everything looks so optimistic for the future, it kind of all came to a scratching halt at the draft there. And uh, it kind of gave me a reality check, like maybe this isn't for you type thing. And I always had the belief that I could play here. I knew I was good enough to play here. It was just a matter of putting in the work and getting opportunities. And like I said, a little bit of luck along the way. But uh, like I said, I went to school and uh, played two years of that program, and that was that was one of the best decisions of my life. Just just basically because of how prestigious that program was, and falling back in love with the game and regaining that uh, that passion for the game. And then, like you said, I mean, you see this is the uh, success that guys like Logan Thompson are having. You know that I was able to make that jump this year. You see the high quality players in that league, and. I've I've always said I can't remember who said it. I think it might have been Mike Mike Babcock that said that it's, it's one of the best hidden leagues in in the world, and I fully agree with that because you see all these good high end junior players that don't sign pro deals that aren't necessarily closing the door on pro want to go get their degrees and want to continue their education. 
because of the NCAA eligibility rules, they aren't able to go to school, right? So then they're left with going to Canada West and the U Sports um, programs. And like you said, there's a lot of hidden talents. I mean, you see it year and year again that guys get signed out of that league and they have immediate success in, in the pro ranks just because of, like I said from the beginning, it's still a game. Nothing changes. You know what I mean? It's You're still building. You're still working towards a goal. You're still improving and developing. What'd you fall back in love with? I'm curious. Like, What made Zach Sachenko fall in love with the position in the first place? What is it you love about it now that you rediscovered while you were at U of A? Like I said, it was a low point in my career and I was entirely from six, well, not even 16, basically from eight years old to 19. It was all hockey all the time. I mean, I had my, my other pastimes and stuff, but once you get to that age where you got a chance to finally make it, I basically put up everything into it. So summers revolved around training, summers revolved around skating. And I went to school or I went to junior, had a couple of good years of junior, was expected to get drafted. Nothing happened there slipped through the draft, had a good bounce back year after the draft and same thing, nothing, no teams were calling. There was no interest and it was just, it felt like I was doing all this work and maybe I should start thinking about something else. And uh, I went to school and honestly took a step back from hockey it was, you know, it's cliche, but I was a student athlete and the student comes first. So I was, instead of grinding in the gym or, or grinding on the ice, which I was doing, I was putting a lot of my energy in the classroom and, that's something that, like I said to this day, one of the best decisions I ever made. That's awesome. Um, what leads you back to the pro? Like, walk me through the process after that second year of ending up signing in San Jose and and you know reengaging in that dream again. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, uh, like I said, I think uh, the belief was always there. I knew that uh, when I was going to school, going to school, I wasn't closing the door on pro opportunities. I think the the program I selected and that U of A, you know, tradition that they have is they they produce pro hockey players. And that was something it would have been I, I probably went to made the decision for for any other school. It was really U of A or nothing for me. And uh the way it works in, in college hockey is once you kind of commit to a guy, you commit to four, to him for four years. So there was an opening there which kind of made the decision a little bit easier just because it was a, a school of my parents. Um, both went to. It was a school my family had gone to. It was close to home, and like I said, the program was was exceptional. So I uh, went to school my first year. Um, I, I was lucky enough to to be behind uh, Brendan Burke and Kenny Cameron, two two really great goalies. That, uh, like I said, huge mentors to me. Like I've said time and time again, I mean, different ways they both approach the game. They play completely different than I do, but you, you kind of expand that toolbox at school. And I was uh, lucky enough to play behind Berkey and ended up uh, winning a national championship that year. So that was a super, super fun year. Um, came back the next year and, and Berkey got hurt actually. So I kind of took the reins as a starter that year and ended up playing a bunch of games. And we had uh, a forward on the team who was, uh, you know, get, gaining NHL interest with uh, Luke Philp, who plays now in Stockton and Calgary's farm systems. So they were, uh, what there were NHL scouts there kind of following him and trying to decide what to do with him. And I was having a, a pretty decent year there. And then once we lost out in the national tournament, he ended up signing. And then my uh, now agent at the time kind of reached out to teams and said, Hey, do you mind if I throw your name out there type thing? And I was like, yeah, no problem. But like I said, I kind of put my eggs in this basket for now. It's, it's going to take a lot for me to leave. So he ended up getting the ball rolling. And I think it was two days later, 
Um, I had a contract offer from from San Jose in the American League, and it was it was an opportunity and a contract I basically couldn't pass up just because I've been chasing it for so long, and it finally felt like okay, here's an opportunity, and I'll go out there and do something with it. The jump to pro hockey was it easier because of your time? Do you think uh, in U Sports uh, with the University of Alberta? We've heard a lot of guys say that. You know, like even more so than the jump from the AHL to the NHL, sometimes that jump out of junior to pro or college to pro uh, is the toughest one um, because you're playing with so many older guys. Like you said, in, in university, it's all guys that have already finished four years of junior, older, more mature, like men, really. Do you think that helped you once it was time to make that jump to pro hockey that first season, whether it was in the AHL with San Jose or a stint with Allen Americans in the, in the coast? Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's why that league is is such a hidden gem, is because all those players that are playing on those teams are high end major junior guys that want to keep playing and want to get their education. So that league is is not watered down by any means. It's all high end players that are playing there. And like you said, it. Uh, I went to to U of A, and that, that was a super high end program. So I was skating with those guys all year for two years straight, basically with. I like to call it a Western Hockey League superstar team because it was the best players from every team that want to go and play pro and win a championship there. So that that was beneficial on its own. And then, like you said, I think goalies take longer to develop. There's no way I could have made that jump out of junior to pro and had the success that I did because it took me kind of longer to develop and blossom into the goaltender I am today. So. I was able to go there for two years, which was nothing but beneficial in my career, both mentally and, you know, physically maturity wise, just because you said it best. I mean, there there are men playing there when you play in junior at 16 to 21 years old, basically you go to school and it's 22 to 26 year olds that are grown men that, that have played the game for a long time that understand, like I said, situations and it's, it's a smarter game. It's not as, uh, how do I word this? Not as frantic as major junior where there's mistakes all over and, and there's, it's just, it's just a more mature league. I was going to ask you that too. Once you get into pro, do you see the same thing uh, in terms of from, from ECHL up to AHL and even up to the NHL, even though it's so fast in the NHL, is it in some ways more predictable? I mean, guys don't, it's not as frantic as you that, that word. It's not as scrambled. It's not as much about mistakes Guys sort of do what they're supposed to be supposed to do, and they usually are where they're supposed to be. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. I think that, uh, like you said, the difference between all three leagues is is really minimal. And for example, I mean, the biggest thing I think is the change in speed. I mean, guys don't shoot necessarily harder in the NHL versus the American League. Just guys are better in the American League because mistakes are limited. And guys know that you know you only get say five, six opportunities to score a game and you got to make the most of those opportunities. You know, guys in, in the East Coast League, the best best players there are, uh, are moving up to the American League. The best players in the American League are, are going to the NHL, right? So as, as an example, you got your, your two first lines in the American League are, are high-end players and then the bottom two lines are developing players. In the NHL, it doesn't matter about development. You're trying to win games, right? So every... I think it's a 23-man roster. Every guy on that roster there is basically there to win games, right? So there's no developing in the NHL. You're trying to win games. And that's that, I think, is the biggest thing in its own is that mistakes are limited. And guys know that opportunity is very limited as well. So you're trying to make the most of your opportunity, but at the same time, you're trying to eliminate your mistakes. 
all the different influences. You talked about tools in the toolbox, Nabby, Sabu in uh, with the Barracuda. Um, I didn't ask you who was the goalie coach at the University of Alberta if you had one. Um, who you who used to do you still train with anyone in the summer? Like, do you still have an anchor you come back to? How did you manage when you were in the coast and then moving up and down like different voices? I know Danny hasn't been there the whole time. Can that be something that you have to manage as a young goalie when you've got different guys telling you to do different things and you want to you want to do right by them because they decide whether you play, but you've also got to stick true to, like you said, tools in the toolbox, but not every tool works for your toolbox. So how do you find that balance between respecting what they want you to try and staying true to what you see as your foundation? So I came in, well, when I was kind of going to junior, I worked with uh, Derek Perfield out of Calgary. So he was a guy that uh, I think is at uh, a company in Calgary. Now I, I don't know the name off the top of my head. He was great at the beginning of my career, basically set my foundation up. And then when I went to junior, I worked with a guy named Jamie Hodson, who was also great. And then I went to school, worked with uh, the ATC guys, which is Dave Ratch and, and Jamie McKaig. Were the guys I still work with now in the summertime were, were great with me because I think at this age now, you kind of have your foundation. It's now just fine-tuning the little things. So they work with me on details and they're, they run a top-notch program out in Edmonton there. So those are the guys I kind of deal with now. And then obviously I deal with Nabby and Sabs in, in the organization here. And like you said, I think your, your toolbox is one thing, but at a certain age, you, you're not going to reinvent the wheel here. You know, this is your foundation. This is what you got to work with. This is what you got here. Now you got to basically go out there and, you know, fine tune your game per se. So I think my foundation is what it is. And it's just for younger goalies out there that are listening to this. And I think you're going to hear different things from every goalie school you go to. I think it's finding something that works for you and and finding something that's comfortable in your game. Like I said, at the beginning of the podcast here, I think that, uh, you know, you got to find, everyone's going to be telling you something. You don't necessarily have to put it into your game, but just listen to them because they're telling it you because that's what they believe in. And at the end of the day, it could bail you out of a save. It could make you a two-on-one save and over time and win a game. Right. So that's, uh, that's something like I've always said, being a student of the game, just kind of listening to it. Like I said, the goaltending position is so unique because it's it's the greatest position in the world. We're on the ice the, the whole time, type thing. So, um, in a sense, it's it's just important to not overwhelm yourself because there's so many expertise. There's so many different ways to handle a reverse. There's so many ways to, you know, get across the crease or, or move around or play the puck. I think it's just find something that works for you. I think that is the perfect advice. I think it's also the perfect spot to wrap this up. you got a hosting job in your future. You tied that up in such a perfect bow and tied it back to the first question, Zach. I think <laughs> we'll end it there, my friend. I really enjoyed this. Um, congratulations on all the success this year. I know it's just the first step of many, but it's been fun to watch from afar, especially knowing, like, like you said, there was a time there where you weren't sure you would get this opportunity. Good on you for sticking with it and working back at it. And I'm as as a fellow goalie geek, I'm glad to, to hear that you've rediscovered that passion for the position because it is the best one in the world. Yeah, no, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate that. And I'll just leave it on this, that uh, it's a long road. I mean, goalies can't expect to, to get there overnight. You know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I think the guys that stick with it the longest are the guys that eventually make a career out of it. Like I said, there's going to be highs, there's going to be lows. It's all about kind of staying even keel and sticking with it. I think it's it's hard to get here and it's hard to stay here. You just gotta stick with it and keep, like I said, building, keep improving brick by brick, keep building a career and building a 
a successful goaltender. I love it. Great advice. Thank you, Zach Sachenko, for spending the time with the In Goal Radio podcast today. So the moral of the lesson there is as you try and close the door, be open to everything that comes your way from Zach as uh, Woody does a great job in that conversation. Just uh, like we, we, we all love the elite players who dominate at every level and they're this like they're going to be stars. We know they're going to be stars and they capitalize on that. But these, but these stories that take the winding path, uh, you just, yes, send tend to cheer for them a little bit, a little bit more Hutch. Yeah, you sure do. And I I love that it underlines that Canadian university hockey is a path. It's a path that can get you to the pros. And yeah, there've only been a couple of goaltenders before these two guys that have made it out of Canadian university hockey. But I I do think I really get the sense that recently uh, eyes are being opened, you know, just like you get a little bit more time as a Euro to overcook i guess in your development before you come over and you can be a little bit older and be accepted i think people are going to start to realize that there's some great players in canadian university typically older than in american universities because a lot of these guys have had a complete career in the canadian hockey league before they go into university hockey in canada it's outstanding hockey as i think zach pointed out it's not just a bunch of guys who happen to play major junior but other than the ones who move on to pro, it's the best guys from major junior hockey that move on to Canadian University. So outstanding hockey. Love that he stuck with it and love that it's given him an opportunity to uh, move on to a pro career. And I hope a few other guys get it as well. I was just, it's funny. I was just thinking Ryland Toth here with the UBC Thunderbirds, uh, yeah. who's had a heck of a career, might be the next one that gets that opportunity uh, as their season just ended. A uh, guy who got into a game in an e-bug role, not into a game, but in uh, you know onto the ice uh, for warm up here with the Canucks in an e-bug role, and a guy who's really turned heads at UBC. So I am I'm happy to see it as well. I've argued for years. We see NHL teams scour NCAA rosters for sort of you know those um, hidden gems that didn't get drafted that have good college careers, and I've argued for a long time that there are similar stories to similar levels of goaltending to be found up in Canada. And so it's nice to t- see that teams are finally discovering that. And so yeah. good for Zach and uh, good for also for Logan Thompson, who's doing a hell of a job for the Vegas Golden Knights as well right Boy, now. Is he ever, he's been the guy uh, starting uh, every game uh, with Laurent Brassois and Robin Leonard out of the lineup, uh, an education for the hockey world, scouts, uh, management, uh, everybody that uh, you can look under that rock over there. And you just might uh, find your your next goaltender or a goaltender that uh, can really stabilize your system. What do we have going on on ingoalmagazine.com, ingoalmag.com? Oh, speaking of development, we've got a great series that just started with Seamus Kotick, who was on, uh, I think it was episode 157 with us. So it's like six episodes ago. If you haven't already, make sure you go back and listen to it. Uh, during that episode, Seamus talked a lot about the influence of Warren Strelo when he started his pro career with the San Jose Sharks. And course Warren probably overlooked even by me you know admittedly every time I go look at the impact Warren had on the game as a goalie coach um you know sometimes I get caught up with the Allaires uh and you know um Benoit Francois Mitch Korn um some of these guys that they're all deserving but sometimes overlook a little bit Warren Strelo is kind of the first goalie coach um to work you know non non ex player to work in the National Hockey League and so the impact he had, uh, some of the drills he used to do with the the Nabokovs and Kiprasovs and Toskalas of the world, a lot of in skating drills. 
In his boots, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we let them put on skates. Seamus let him put on skates, and he's got some video of Ukopeka Lukanen, the Sabres, uh, top goaltending prospect. And we're just going to go through the whole series. The first part is up online right now. It's a series of p- five puck drills. So he plays five pucks around the crease, and he sort of explains the thinking behind that from Warren uh, and just a bunch of different crease patterns. We talk whether it's K- Carter Hart, Carey Price. So many guys have talked to us about the importance of crease movement drills. Here's another great example and another way to sort of set up and structure different crease movement um, that will benefit goaltenders of every age. You could be like a five, six-year-old just starting. These things work. Beer leaguer, these things work. Although I kind of doubt anybody's going to let you do skating drills before your game. But if you can get ice, these things work. And clearly, as we see in the National Hockey League with guys like Uko Pekka and moving up through the system of the Sabres, these things work for pros too. A really nice example, guys. We've had a lot of people say to us, oh, you guys keep mentioning all these NHL goalies and NHL coaches who subscribe. Is there really something there for me? Is there really something for my five-year-old kid, for for me as a beer leaguer? I think this week's examples are really nice ones, aren't they, Woody? Like that five-puck drill? You don't need a goalie coach to do that. Set up the pucks. Do the work on your own. How many times... Is a young goalie left on his own as the team does something else and he's wondering what to do with his time? This week's drills, perfect example of something a youngster could do. Beer leaguer, I could totally see Woody setting up the five pucks before a game and starting to work on them, but I don't think many guys have that opportunity. But you can definitely have them in your mind as you're working through a bit of a skating drill before you get on the ice. Um, Nice little piece on there as well from our buddy Pete Fry on uh, controlling your focus with, with your mindset. Pete does great work for us. He's got a, a super 30-day program that uh, you might want to have a look at. It it links to it in every one of his articles. Pete's there every week with something new for us. And uh, and I and I really like the work with uh, Alex Nadalkovic and ProReads this week as well, guys. I think it's just a really nice, simple example. Um, it's it's something again that just applies to everybody at every level. There's 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 no great secrets to this game, are there? There's no magic bullet that this is basics 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 being applied at all levels and i just love it i'm trying to see woody i mean in my mind i'm seeing woody with the pucks at the other end it is barely doing me all and kvg drills. kane van gate would do it for sure 100 percent. he's setting up five pucks oh, next time the, we need end. to get a game of the two of you playing each other it would be brilliant the puck starting to come down the ice and woody's still doing his drill doing yeah. his movements the team's sticking the, the foam boards. roller up on top hey, of the net oh foam roller on top of that for sure or the theragun why are there five pucks on the ice <laughs> uh awesome job with zach sachenko a uh, wonderful story and amazing lessons in there for for all of us and as well uh with the the pad sizing between brands it's uh it's such a great luxury that we have with cam and the hockey shop uh, source for sports story the hockey shop.com to be able to lean on experts like this, to be able to talk you through, because uh, I didn't realize that there was a, a big difference inside one brand, like just with the Vaughn, uh, never mind between a True or a CCM or a Bauer, uh, Brian's uh, as well. So uh, really cool stuff there. Uh, we will I'll leave you with this. And it happened while we were on the air uh, recording this episode, another Scorpion save by Thatcher Demko. And I don't know how he keeps coming up with this stickless. stuff. Stickless. But yeah, stickless. But I mean, he thinks to lift his leg at that particular time. They reviewed it and it was it was right on the money. So uh, check that one out uh, if you haven't seen it uh, on the highlight reel. But it's, I could see Woody uh, staring at it like, what just happened there? 
That was crazy. That was a crazy save. And it was also in a 2-1 game the Canucks absolutely had to win. So uh, another tick in the box for Thatcher Demko as a franchise goaltender here in Vancouver. Wow. The Scorpion strikes again. Uh, For Woody, Hutch, Cam, and Zach, uh, thank you for listening to In Goal Radio. The podcast will chat with you again next week.